Our second lesson today comes from the Gospel according to Matthew. This is the lectionary text for this day. It's from chapter 22, beginning with the 15th verse. We listen for God's Word. Then the Pharisees went and plotted to entrap Jesus in what he said. So they sent their disciples to Jesus along with the Herodians saying, Teacher, we know that you are sincere and teach the way of God in accordance with the truth and show deference to no one, for you do not regard people with partiality. Tell us, then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And then he said to them, Whose head is on this and whose title? They answered, The emperor's. Then he said to them, Give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperor's and to God the things that are God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, and they left him, and they went away. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Is Mormonism a cult? That seems to be the latest and the hottest question from our campaign trail conversations, especially as Mitt Romney, a Mormon, deals with his faith in the public square, especially when conservative Christians are trying to steal from his significant power base as this election unfolds. Is Mormonism a cult? You know what? It's a trick question. It's a trick question because if you say it is a cult, there are all kinds of ramifications. Life is not going to carry lots of credibility if it's a cult. If you say it's not a cult, then you might have a hard time convincing many Christians who would not accept Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, who's viewed kind of alongside Jesus and whose writings are added to the Mormon Bible. Trick questions often bring defining moments for political leaders and social movements. Is stewardship about money? That's really a trick question too. Today we launch into the stewardship season in the life of Second Presbyterian and undoubtedly this church can only serve God. This church can be only a bright light in this city and a powerful presence in the world for God as we, the members of this church, give our money, give our generous donations to the work of this church. The church needs our loving commitment. The church needs our donations, our hearts, our lives in faithful service. Without that, we can do nothing. Without that, we cannot be a great downtown church. We cannot build on our wonderful heritage. We cannot move into the fantastic future that God has for us, Second Presbyterian. But while stewardship involves our money and our lives, it's really more about God. And how we see our lives as God's own. Stewardship season is, rich, is really much bigger than our pocketbooks. It's about our priorities. This is the season to reaffirm that our lives indeed belong to God, not to ourselves. Our blessings come from God, not from our amazing or wonderful accomplishments that we did on our own. All we have 
And all we are result from God, from God's goodness, from God's grace, from God's steadfast care. Our calling then is to live well in God's life and in God's purposes as God's people. Stewardship season really is another word for discipleship season or faithfulness season perhaps. When we live our lives, all of us, to the glory of God in the service of God's purposes, wherever we find ourselves, we are faithful stewards of everything that God has given us. So stewardship is much, much bigger than money matters in our pocketbooks. We have a trick question in our text today. The Pharisees, who are kind of the religious authorities, the religious leaders, team up with the Herodians, who are friends of the civil authorities, and they ask Jesus a trick question. The issue of paying taxes, guess what? It was a hot issue then, too. The issue of paying taxes is what they're worried about. They want to know more about. No one likes to pay taxes, even though civil life and civic life depend on taxes that allow for the provision of many services, water, roads, school, fire, police, and much more. And we keep debating passionately just how much and just what is appropriate for taxes. There seems to be few easy answers, whether it's 999 or some other complicated formula. It's complex. And for the people in Palestine, in Jesus' day, it was even more complex. See, Palestine, in Jesus' day, was a colony of Rome. So the Palestinians, the people around Jesus, think about taxes probably something akin to what the American colonists thought about taxes in the 1700s. Too much tax, especially tax that sent far away to the other side of the world to maintain some monarchy, that kind of tax incites riots and revolutions. Palestine had a history of this when a group known as the Zealots, an earnest group of faithful Israelites, God's people, refused the taxes in that very day of our story. They left their towns, they ran to the hills, and they became kind of guerrilla warriors, fighters. It was not just an opposition to taxes. It was an, it was an opposition, they felt, against the civil authority that was demanding allegiance from them beyond God. So the zealots refused to participate in the cult of emperor worship. So at a certain point along Jesus' journey through Palestine, both the religious leaders and the, those close to Rome, the Herodians they're called, pose this trick question to Jesus. And here's why it's a trick question. If Jesus is being hailed as the son of David, and that's what they were calling him, he might share the zealot revolutionary convictions. If he's indeed the son of David, he's going to eventually have to deal with Caesar and Caesar's pretensions of being in charge and, in fact, Caesar's tax. Teacher, they say, we know you're truthful. We know that you teach God's way. So tell us, should the people of God give money and support the cultic worship of the emperor or not? That's what they're asking. Trick questions may be the favorite tool of journalists and pundits. Trick questions may stump politicians and even church people. 
But trick questions, this one, in fact, only allows Jesus to shine and speak with a message to those people and to our lives, an important message that's still pertinent, especially in these stewardship days. Why are you testing me? Jesus says. He knew their evil intentions. It says he perceived their malice. Show me the coin. The coin was the silver denarius, and it had an image of the laureled head of Caesar, Tiberius Caesar on one side, and on the other side, the image of Caesar's mother, Livia. And there was an inscription around the coin, the denarius, that said, Tiberius Caesar, majestic son of divine Augustus. So Jesus doesn't just answer the trick question. Like a good teacher, he engages them in a good audiovisual demonstration. He says, whose image is on the coin? Literally, he's asking, whose icon is on the coin? Caesar's, they say. The emperor's, they say. And it's not just a name. It is the genitive of possession with an apostrophe S. They possess in the coin the possession of another, Caesar's, the emperor's. Now, is it wrong to return the property that belongs to another? This is the way that Jesus is beginning to deal with the trick question. He's teaching with clarity about the importance of loyalty, even loyalty to the civil authorities. Render... He says, and render actually is better translated give back. Give back. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Or to render to the emperor the things that belong to the emperor. For Jesus then, paying taxes is not an unheard of novelty. It's not an irrational thought or demand. In fact, Jesus is saying give back that which belongs there to Caesar. Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's. The implication is that Caesar provides. And giving back to Caesar is part of sharing in common life. Caesar provides coins for economic exchange. Caesar provides roads. Caesar provides other services, perhaps water and security, and a certain level of common life even for God's people in Palestine. Therefore, we're all to give back. We are to render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. We all participate in the common good, in the common life. Caesar's coin bears Caesar's image and therefore belongs to Caesar's. Faithful people lead faithful lives of devotion. And part of that devotion, in response to God's care and goodness, is devotion and loyalty to the state, which means rendering our taxes. It's always good to hear this, I think. Keep this in mind. But that's just the first half of Jesus' answer to the trick question. And the last half speaks the most important message. Render to God the things that are God's. See, just as Caesar's coin bears Caesar's image and then belongs to Caesar, God's people bear God's image. And therefore, our lives belong to God. This would be a common line of thinking for those who are hearing these words from Jesus. They would not ever miss this association. 
while we certainly are called to live devoted lives as citizens of the state and offer our loyalty and certainly pay our taxes and give our service in various ways. Ultimately, ultimately, our lives belong to God. And that's Jesus' point. God alone is the one we worship. God alone is the one who deserves our absolute allegiance. God alone receives our lives. We render to God the things that are God's. That would be our hearts, our souls, our mind, and our strength. That would be our gifts. That would be our best efforts to do anything. It's all for God. We're all ministers in God's service. We're all seeking to be disciples. No matter what our work is, we render to God the things that are God's, which would mean our lives all of our lives in response to the bountiful goodness and care of God we render to God the things that are God's which is us ourselves our lives see the familiar Psalm 23 puts it in perspective the Lord is our shepherd it's the best summary of the whole of scriptures God takes care of us and provides for us and never leaves us and then these words of Jesus point us in an appropriate response. Render life in God's service. All of you, all the time, that's what we're about. Not just tossing God a few coins and calling it faithful. Not just offering a tip of, or a portion that feels like a little bit extra. That's for God from what we've received, which is our tendency but rendering to God all that is God's. See, we bear the image of God, each one of us. Each one of us. We are created in God's likeness. Each one of us. We bear God's inscription as we live out every day. We embody God's presence no matter where we find ourselves. So our lives, all we do, all the days of our week, we seek to live in faithful, joyful, responsive, generous devotion. Render to God the things that are God's. So Jesus is saying, we may owe some taxes to Caesar. We owe our lives, our very lives, our whole being to God. His answer to the trick question is that when it comes to what you owe God... We're in the highest tax bracket. God is so devoted to us, so caring, so loving, so passionate, so ever-present. Our lives are to be devoted to God, render to God the things that are God's. So this gets us back to stewardship, doesn't it? In the coming days and weeks, we'll be thinking about this. In the coming days and weeks, I want you to be praying about this. In what way does your life, your life reflect God's image? In what way are you showing your full devotion to God? How can we really render, give back to God that which is God's? How can you? How can I? We can certainly consider our lives in light of this text 
how much of your life truly honors God? How much of it? How much of your life, day in and day out, reveals that you really do belong to God? And if our lives really honor God and belong to God, then how much of the money that we have is given to God's work through this church? Our money is just often the best barometer of where our hearts are, about where our lives are, about our priorities, where your treasure is, Jesus says, there your heart is. So does it matter how much money you give to God and to God's work through this church? Does it matter? That's another trick question. Because I think it matters a great deal to God. That's what this text is about. Does it matter to the church how much your life gives to the church and what portion it gives to the church? It certainly does. If you increase your pledge, it helps us do what we ordinarily could not do. If you decrease your pledge or your commitments to the church, it allows us to to do less. If 250 of us, and that's not that many of us, raised our pledges just $5 a week. That's like a fancy cup of coffee. If 250 of us raised our pledges and gifts just $5 a week, we would have 65,000 more dollars to do good God's work in this place. If 50 of us raised our pledges and commitments just $100 a month, we would have 60,000 more dollars to do God's work. And all of this would enable us to do what we've wanted to do for the past few years but could not do because of cutbacks. Does it matter to the church? Yes, it does. And many of us could do more than those simple examples that I just gave. So it matters to God. And it matters to the church, and it certainly matters to you. And it certainly matters to me, because when we render to God the things that are God's, our lives take on a totally different shape. We're not just living. We're living into God's resurrection. We're not just living. We're becoming the kind of people that God calls us to be, kingdom people. People who are about the peace and the hope and the wholeness and the light of Christ our Lord. When we render to God the things that are, li- that are God's, our lives take on a whole new mode of being. We reflect better God's image. We embody better the inscription that's on us. We belong to God. We are more focused on God's work. This all matters very much to me and to you And it makes a big difference in the life of our church and in the life of our city and in the life of the world as we seek to bring about the reign and the hope of Jesus Christ our Lord. It's another way that we move from membership to discipleship, from simple members to faithful servants of God. Friends, trusting in God's abounding presence, trusting and open to God's promises, I'm your shepherd. We seek to open our hearts to God's spirit and stretch and give and serve God with all that we are. Render to God the things that are God's. It'll make a difference for God, for the church, for you, and for the world. And thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. We believe, O God, 
help our unbelief and move us, move us to deeper levels of faithful discipleship following Christ our Lord. Amen. We have today some words of affirmation. They come from a faithful community seeking to live in discipleship and stewardship. Let's stand and say what we believe together. We believe in God whose love is the source of all life and the desire of our lives, whose love was given a human face in Jesus of Nazareth, whose love was crucified by the evil that wants to enslave us all, and whose love, defeating even death, is our glorious promise of freedom. Therefore, though we are sometimes fearful and full of doubt, in God we trust. And in the name of Jesus Christ, we commit ourselves in the service of others to seek justice and to live in peace, to care for the earth and to share the commonwealth of God's goodness, to live in the freedom of forgiveness and in the power of the spirit of love and in the company of the faithful, so to be the church for the glory of God. Amen.